I'm getting to continue our series, which is called Improving Your Aim, and it's all about living a missional life. How to live life on purpose, not necessarily what we might have picked, but what God has picked for us, this life with eternal purpose. In the first week, we took an aim at how we love, and we looked at loving people in the interruptions of life. And then the second week, which was last week, Jared helped us take a look at how we share the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and all the many forms that that takes, depending on where the particular person that we're loving in that moment is at with Jesus on their journey toward him. And that was really insightful and gave us a lot to think about in terms of considering the people in our lives that are still on their way to Jesus. And so this week, though, week number three, we get to take a look at taking aim at growing in our relationship with Jesus. What does it mean to grow up? That's right, folks. We're going to use the M word today. Maturity. Maturity. Okay, but there is a new word out that is a popular replacement for the word maturity. Can anybody guess what this word might be? Oh, oh, yeah. That's not a new word, though. This is a new word. That's a good word right there. That's part of maturity. Adulting. Have any of you heard that word? Adulting. Okay, this is either shared with a a sarcastic story or a story of great pride, like I really took responsibility and did something adult. But adulting, it is a word now. It means to behave in adult ways or do adult things. Okay, but sometimes, you know what? Whether we're talking adulting or maturity, some days it just doesn't feel right at all. Maybe you've had a day like the Minions. I officially resign from adulthood. Decisions will be made using the eeny, meeny, miny, mo method, and arguments will be settled by sticking out my tongue. If you need me, I'll be at recess. How many of you needed a recess at some point this last week? Yeah, at least we wanted one, right? Well... Maybe, though, I've discovered that it could be as simple, being an adult could be as simple as this. It turns out that being an adult is mostly just Googling how to do stuff. It's true. Google has helped us in some of our adulting moments. But we're talking about this word maturity, and we want to ask ourselves, what does the Bible say about growing up, about maturing in Christ? In the Bible, it's translated either mature or perfect, especially in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul loved to use this word, and he used it on a lot of occasions, and it was always to speak about God's intention for us, and therefore Paul's intentions for us, what he really wanted for us, what he hoped would be true for us. One of those is in Colossians 1.28, where he says this, He is the one, that's Jesus, that we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. There's that M word again. You see, this word mature or perfect, depending on which translation you look at, it's this special word that actually has a dual meaning. First of all, it indicates an end or a goal or a limit. I'd like to say it as a finish line. Something that we look forward to crossing. Something that we're aiming for out there. And when we get there, we will really reach the end. But it combines that idea with another, which is this. It's the full development of one's character, gifts, and personality. So it's the attainment 
or attaining toward this goal, reaching the finish line. But at the same time, it's this development process of all our gifts, our personality, and our character. So the word mature in the Bible, what it really means is complete, full-grown, and it implies this word, a ripeness in character and experience. Now, I kind of like the word ripeness. However, I was reminded after the first service that all ripeness is not good. Okay, i.e., a teenager's room that hasn't been cleaned for months. That is a ripeness that we don't want. Okay, or uh, the load of socks from the previous week of cross-country runs for your student. Okay, or maybe just your husband's socks. Um, You know, they might be that bad too. But they're ripe, right? But that's not the ripeness I want you to have in mind. So this ripeness is actually a good thing. This would be like the ripeness that you have when you went out for the last of your garden products of the year. Maybe it was zucchini or cucumbers or tomatoes. And you go out and you're you're constantly checking every day to get them at just the right time. And the right time is when they're ripe, ready to eat, flavorful, ready for what you're going to use them for. There's that kind for the gardeners in our midst. Or maybe you're like my husband who grew up in the grass seed business. So when he thinks of ripeness... He thinks of ryegrass. That's right. There is not a field in the Willamette Valley that we have not passed by at some point and him delivered to me. Oh, man, they need to cut that. They've only got about a week to go. Or, oh, I hope it doesn't rain. You know, this is a critical time, these so many weeks before harvest. But he's looking at the ripeness, the readiness for this to be fully developed and ready to be of benefit. But me, I'm a simple girl. I'm not... A farm girl, in particular, when I think of ripeness, I think of bananas. That's right. That's the metaphor I want to leave you with today about maturity. You see, green bananas standing for the immature or the immaturity phase. Or the yellow bananas, ripe, well, a touch of green maybe at the tip because, well, that's what I think is ripe. Okay, but the ripe bananas and everything in between, all the phases. You buy some like this and you watch them day by day get riper, ready to eat, ready to ingest, ready to be used and shared at just the right time. So I'm suggesting to you that we could start a whole new assessment about how our relationship with Jesus is going, is maturing. How are we at growing up? Are you at the green banana stage, are you moving toward the yellow banana stage in your relationship with Jesus? And that's really what we want to think about today. So Vince Lombardi, he's, he's no, no longer with us. He was the, the great and considered one of the greatest coaches of all time, pro football, Green Bay Packers. This was kind of my dad's favorite And he was considered this because in seven years' time, he won five NFL championships. In fact, the trophy bears his name, the Lombardi Trophy. And he had 11 Hall of Famers. In seven years, that's just an amazing accomplishment as a coach. But one day, he was having a really difficult, a bad practice. He was not pleased at all with the players' performance. And so after practice, they all went in for their team meeting, and he stormed in there in a very bad mood, and he began to rail on them, telling them what went wrong and telling them also that they had a whole lot to learn. And then, in dramatic fashion, he held a football high above his head, and he's famous for this. And he bellowed to all those players so that the whole roster could hear him. 
We're going to start at the very beginning. This gentleman is a football. Now, right at that point, I wouldn't have done this, but he had some football players, right? And they're rough and tumble guys. So Max McGee, who was one of his tight ends and kind of a smart aleck on the team, he interrupted Coach Lombardi at that moment and said, "Uh, Coach, could you slow down? You're going too fast for us. (laughs) Just having a little fun with the coach. But I want to take a page out of Vince Lombardi's playbook, and I want to start with the most fundamental truth about growing up in our faith. And I want to thrust my arm into the air like Coach Lombardi did, and I want to declare, ladies and gentlemen, this is Jesus. Stay connected to him. Pay attention to the most basic, and you will grow. That's the fundamental, most basic truth we could embrace about growing up in our faith. Stay connected to him, pay attention to him, and you'll grow. We're going to talk about how we could do that. The big idea today is this, that we grow up as we stay connected to Jesus. And put succinctly, we grow up as we show up with Jesus in all the ways that he modeled for his followers, which includes us. So we grow up because of our relationship with Jesus. My mentor and pastor used to say, as goes this, so goes this. This doesn't grow up unless this is doing well. And that's what we're really saying, very simply. Our maturity depends on our connection to him. The Bible uses a wonderful metaphor for this. You can read it all about it in Ephesians and in 1 Corinthians. Paul loves to use it. We are a body. Everybody who is a believer in Jesus is part of his body. And who's the head? Jesus. And who directs the body? Jesus. So the head is the one directing, helping all the other parts. And so our maturity depends on him. And the truth is we won't grow up without him. That means that I can't take your greatest list of tips and techniques and implement them. Oh, I can try that. But I won't truly grow up unless I'm being driven and motivated and prompted by God, by Jesus himself. And that's what we want to talk about. We need to ask this question. What did Jesus, the completely mature son of God, say and do while he was on planet earth that shows you and I how we can grow in our relationship with him? And obviously we won't be comprehensive today, but I just want to talk about four things that he didn't said that he modeled for us that we can do. This is the deal. We improve our aim to grow up when we show up with Jesus alone. When we show up with Jesus alone, Jesus showed up to spend time with God, the Father, his Father. He invested in the relationship. Luke 6, 12 says it this way. Jesus, and one of those days, Jesus went out on a mountainside to pray, and he spent the night praying to God. In Matthew's gospel, Matthew 14, 23, Matthew wrote it this way. After he dismissed them, the crowd, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. Now, Jesus did what I just read. Those are just a couple of accounts of it. But he did that kind of thing so often that one of his close followers, Luke, the physician who wrote the Gospel of Luke, he wrote about it. He summarized Jesus' practice or activity this way. In Luke 5, 16, he said, But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. 
You see, Jesus made a habit of showing up with God and having conversations. And his practice had all the marks of a good habit. Let's look at what those three were in that one little verse. First of all, he frequently did this. That's the often word. Any habit is something that happens repetitively over and over again. That's what people looking in on Jesus said. He gets with his dad often. He gets alone with him. Secondly, it says that it was on purpose, and that's this withdrew word. He had to purposely withdraw from all the demands that were on him and all of the agendas that other people brought to his life. I don't know. I think about Jesus sometimes, and how many of you think that Jesus was as busy as us? Yeah. How many of you think that he was kind of in demand as much as us? Yeah, he was in demand a lot more than us because, let's face it, he was doing amazing things. He was healing and casting out demons and just having this incredible impact on people's lives, and they always wanted more of him. And yet, he withdrew from that to say yes to the best. He said no to say yes to the best. That's this withdrawing to be alone with his father. And then, thirdly, it was focused You see, Jesus went to lonely places to pray. Lonely places, that has everything to do with, he was just looking for some place where the distractions were not going to be. So I'd like you to think with me for a minute. What about your own life? I know you guys have all kinds of conversations with God. What have you discovered is an undistracted place for you to have a conversation with God? Anybody want to just pipe up? At the car, yeah. This is your own individual spot. It doesn't have a one right answer. Okay, early, early in the morning. Ah, another morning person. See me afterwards. Okay, and over here? Yeah, same thing. Before anyone else is awake. Anybody else? Oh, what was it? After everyone's asleep. All right. Braden, the night people unite. Okay. Someone else? Walking. Someone else over here? Walking on my farm. Walking on your farm. So getting out in nature. That can be a great way to pull away. Yeah. You know what? All the time we have to knock down the natural proclivity that human nature has, which is to make something a rule, a religion. Okay? And where you talk to God is one of those things. Because there isn't one right place to spend time alone with God. This is about you. Jesus found his alone place. And it was what was free of distractions for him. I have personally, when I was raising my kids, used a bathtub in the bathroom with the door shut. With no water in it, mind you. Just pull a pillow and go in there. Okay? It worked. It worked. Sometimes it demands desperate measures, you know, to have your time alone. But this is the deal. Our conversations with God are so important that we do these things. We look, we make it regular. We make it on purpose, and we make it focused. But, you know, our our conversations with God aren't just about that conversation of me listening, with a listening ear here, listening for those thoughts and impressions that cross my mind by his spirit, or um, him talking to me. It also includes scripture, because scripture is the record of his written word to us, where we can discover more of who he is and who he says we are, but also everything that I'm hearing this way, 
I'm going to find somewhere in the pages of this book, I'm going to find it supported by, at least, in the pages of that book. And so that's a part of the conversation, is I'm having this conversation with him this way, and I'm having that conversation with him this way as I open his word and begin to look at it, whether it's on a device or in a hard copy. 2 Timothy 3.16 says it this way, All scriptures inspired by God and it's useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what's wrong in our lives. And it corrects us when we're wrong and it teaches us to do what is right. Hebrews 4.12 goes on to describe God's word this way, For the word of God is alive and powerful. It's sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, cutting between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow. And it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. Does that scare you at all? It does me every now and then when I'm on the wrong track. Yeah. But I love it that his word will do that. Because you see, his word, interacting with it in these conversations that I have with God, it rearranges our priorities. It renews our minds. It intervenes in our selfishness. I've had God do that with me so many times. Even this morning, here in church, he had me do that. His word reminds us of our mission, this side of heaven, and it shows us where we're broken and where we need to be restored. It helps me see life through his eyes, and it's what helps us over time. If I have these conversations with God and I interact with his word in that conversation, What happens is he begins to show me who he really is. Not the Jesus I created in my own image, but who he really is. And that is an amazing experience. So even as I'm reading the scripture, I am engaged in a conversation with God. I'm listening for him and I'm waiting eagerly and I'm expecting to hear some things. So we have a plan that we give people here at Evergreen, and it's just one of many. There's some great ones online that you can get for free, and this is the life journal that goes with what's called the SOAP reading plan. Okay, SOAP is an acronym, and you received these as you came in, and you know, some of us are writers and some of us are not. Some of us, that's not the way we're going to remember what God said to us, and I don't want you to feel any condemnation about that, because the Bible does not say that blessed are those who write down their quiet time thoughts with God. It just doesn't say that. That's not sacred. What is sacred is spending time with them, whatever way you do that. And so if that's not, you can hand yours off to the usher as you go out of the room, but maybe just maybe you might experiment this week. So maybe you're not, though, a journaler. Then we have a bookmark, and it's out at Info Central for you, and it has the reading plan on it. Okay, so the deal with the reading plan is this. Why do we do that? And it's like, I'm a free spirit, and I need a little more room than that. But here's the deal. If you don't use any plan, here's our default. Human nature gravitates toward what it wants to hear. Not necessarily what we need to hear. So it kind of ends up being like my sister Mary. I grew up with six kids in our family. Mary is the one of the kids, and I'm surprised we didn't have more, that had two items on her menu. Macaroni and cheese and fried chicken. I'm sorry to bring this up at 11.15, okay? But macaroni and cheese and fried chicken. Do you think my parents let her eat macaroni and cheese and fried chicken every night? 
Uh, no. Uh, much to her chagrin, she spent many a late night at the table to get her to eat vegetables and, and the family menu. No, they insisted she eat off our family's menu so that she could be a healthy person. And this is the thing. Left to our own brothers, we have preferences. We have books of the Bible that are wonderful to us, that encourage us. We have favorite passages, and we'll revisit those time and again, and we'll avoid other passages if we're really being honest. <sighs> You want me to read that? And that's what a plan helps you do. It helps you take a whole, if you will, systematic approach. And you can always veer from the plan. So SOAP, S stands for scripture, O stands for observation, A stands for application, and P stands for prayer. It's pretty simple. So a few weeks ago, I was reading Philippians 1 for my New Testament reading, and Philippians 1.27 was the verse that stood out to me that I felt impressed with. It goes like this. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. That was the scripture. So I reflected on that and I wrote these observations. Paul left room for scenarios other than the one hoped for or prayed for to happen. It didn't negate his faith to do that. It infused faith into the mix, independent of circumstances. So he's saying whether whether he's released from prison or not, should have no bearing on the Philippians' behavior. And he's saying whether he gets to visit or not should have no bearing on their behavior. It's about living life in a way that honors Jesus regardless of what is happening. This is a big claim to be able to make, that whatever happens, I'm living in a way that brings honor to Christ. So my application, just a couple sentences long. I think about this election period, and I realize I want to be able to look back And say, whatever happens on November 8th, I behaved in a way that honored Jesus. And my prayer, Jesus, help me live this way, pleasing you regardless of whether circumstances go my way or not. Regardless of the cultural wars going on around me, help me to see what you are up to and to join you. That's a soap, pure and simple, if you want to write it down. You can have the same conversation with God your own, and not write it down. Or maybe even use a recording device if that's a way that you like to record it. Well, the thing is, variety is the spice of life. So you might say, well, do you ever vary it? Well, I do. You know, for the last month, I've been having a lot of fun adding something onto that. I've made a whole poster about Jesus, and he's right in the center of it. And then at the top, it says, one thing I know about who Jesus is from this scripture and then I start writing it. And I had Sydney make a little slide for you of just some of the things that I knew about Jesus because of what I was reading in the last month. And it's just been a powerful thing because when I see that liberator, you know what I think about? I think about finishing the book of Galatians. And that's what struck me. Jesus is our liberator. And women, if you need a liberator, there's nobody more liberating than Jesus And to those of us who feel stuck in something, Jesus is the liberator. And see, that comes alive for me. I look at this poster. I review this every morning after I've done my devotions. And the list is growing. I've probably added 10 more to that in this past week since I gave it to her. And then on the other side, this one I found a little more difficult for me just because of who I am. But it says, one thing I know about how Jesus describes me from this scripture is... This is essentially, who does Jesus say you are? And I'm making that, and on that, instead of a poster, I've got this running roster of things going. 
And even in doing this little exercise, he's shown me things about myself. He's cut between the soul and the spirit, the bones and the marrow, and he's really revealed some innermost thoughts and desires. So I just encourage you, maybe today you're new to faith and you've really not done much reading in the Bible. This is a great way to start. You can take this home with you and you can pick one of the gospels. That's Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, the first four books of the second half of your Bible called the New Testament. And you could take this and you could start making your own poster. And here's the deal. Jesus will reveal himself to you in that conversation that you have as you look at his word, as you talk to him in conversation. So so sometimes, though, you know, you've got a good friend, or maybe it's your spouse, maybe it's a longtime friend, and you get together, and sometimes you just don't need to talk. You just need to be in the moment with Jesus. Now, my metaphor for doing this is like soaking in the hot tub with Jesus, okay? That might gross some of you out, but I don't have a hot tub, but I really love soaking in a hot tub. You know, but maybe for you, it's sitting in front of a comfy fire in your big easy chair with your favorite beverage. Or maybe for you, it's sitting out on a deck looking out on a beautiful mountain peak or the ocean. And the thing is, in those moments, you don't need words. You don't need to write. You just get to be with Jesus. And that kind of quality time For somebody like me that's pretty driven and like on the go, I've been trying to do more of that so that I actually kind of soak in who he is. And that makes a difference. That makes a difference. So we improve our aim to grow when we get alone with Jesus. And we improve our aim to grow when we show up with Jesus in his church. That's right, when we gather or participate in the faith community regularly. Jesus showed up every Sabbath at the synagogue or at the temple, depending on where he was. And he modeled gathering to hear the scripture taught and experience worship in all its various forms. Because let's face it, the liturgy of the temple or the synagogue was different than the liturgy that we enjoy here. But it was very meaningful for him. And in Luke 4.16, it says this. He went to Nazareth, his hometown, where he'd been brought up. And on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue as was his custom. Now, this is you'll find this in several places in the gospel. That they'll talk about Jesus going to the synagogue or to the temple. And they'll say, as was his custom. There's another habit word, custom. It means to do something habitually. Jesus, the Son of God, grew up going to Sabbath school and attending synagogue each week. Even as a young boy, he liked to hang out at the temple talking with the religious leaders, so much so that he caused great consternation and worry for his own parents because he stayed behind while they had left to go back home. Jesus, the perfect Son of God, gathered regularly with other believers. We see at the beginning of the church in Acts 2, the things that they devoted themselves to. And one of the things they devoted themselves to was gathering every week. In fact, they even co-opted a word from the culture, ecclesia. This actually was a word that just meant a gathering, any gathering of people. And and the Greek culture used it to refer to things like orgies and stuff like that. It'd be like saying that kegger out at your folks' place. That's an ecclesia, right? Okay. 
So, oh, I know none of you would do that. Okay. Sorry, that's just what came to my mind. Those are dangerous thoughts. <laughs> so, Ecclesia, but isn't it cool that the early church co-ops this word of the culture and they reinvented it with this incredible meaning because it was often associated with some really bad stuff in Greek culture, but not after the church was born. It became a common word for any gathering of the believers in Jesus Christ. Just a cool thing. And this was an opportunity to be taught. It was an opportunity to pray together. It was an opportunity to encourage each other. They shared joy and gladness together. And they experienced what the Greeks called koinonia, this real community that's centered on the person of Jesus and not on their personalities or our preferences. But this is the thing. These, this love for church... Where does that really come from? Is this like a have-to thing? Is this like a rule, Anne, that you're laying down on us? I thought that wasn't what this was about. Now, the deal is, is that we grow up better in the church with Jesus. Because he calls the church, as imperfect and messy as it is, his body. And he says in Ephesians that we grow up as each part does its work. And each part doing his work does not happen solo. So I don't know how many of you are watched Saturday Night Live. I'm really going to get in trouble here. How many of you ever watched Saturday Night Live? Okay, a few will confess to this. Okay, and that show's been around a long time. And, and I developed a nickname from that, the church lady. <laughs> okay, do you know who she is? <laughs> Okay, but I didn't develop it for the same reason (laughs) that she did, thankfully. Um, And the thing is, I'm proud to be called a church lady in this regard. The church is the container for the hope of the world. It's not the hope of the world, except as we are a container of the hope of the world, Jesus Christ. And so... I'm okay with being in the messiness. And I've been disappointed like you. I've been hurt like you. I've worked with Christian leaders that I wouldn't want to follow again without a substantial change in their life. But you know what? I absolutely refuse to let that taint the the amazing container of the local church in all its um, messiness to be that container of hope, of hope that is extended to the world through you and me. And you know what? It's extended to us as well. And I experienced this first as a child, being the first one in my family to go to a church and having that church surround me and give me rides and offer to bring food on the Wednesday midweek potlucks, all the things that they did for me to care for me. And I learned that the church was not only a container for God's hope, the church was a container for God's love. It was a container for God's goodness and his care and his sharing with us. And so, yeah, I want to be a church lady, if that's what it means. We get to show up with Jesus in his church, not because we have to, because there's no place I'd rather be than right in the middle of his container of hope for the whole world. And that brings us to we improve our aim when we show up with a small group. 
Jesus did this first. Luke 5, verses 12 through 13 is where he tells us that one of those days, Jesus went out onto a mountainside and he prayed all night. And when he came back in the morning, he called his disciples to him and he chose 12 of them to be with him. And then to send them out to preach in his name as well. So he started this small group of guys. And they shared their joys, their successes, their failures, their messes, their highs, their lows, and everything in between. They shared the green bananas and the yellow bananas of life. They really did. And that's what a small group is about. And Jesus understood that his first followers, as ragtag of a band as they were, that they needed each other to grow up. Proverbs says it really well in Proverbs 17. Verse 7, it says, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another, or so one person sharpens another. Now, when I hear the word sharpens, the first thing that comes to my mind is sharpening knives. Don't be alarmed. But I have a knife sharpener at home. And the thing about a sharpener and a knife is this, that sharpeners are always made out of rough stone. That's what Peter calls us in his letters, that we're living stones, but we're not perfectly hewn, manufactured ones. We're rough. We're rough around the edges. And when you sharpen a knife, there's only one way to get it sharpened. It's not by, like, airbrushing it, right? It's got to come into contact with this hard, coarse substance. And the Bible says that that's what we do for each other. And you know what? That doesn't happen on Sunday mornings. That doesn't happen in the large gathering It's in the small gathering that we end up rubbing shoulders. We get close enough to actually get sharpened. We find out each other's idiosyncrasies. We hear each other's lousy responses to things. We might even get mad at each other from time to time. That can happen in a good small group. But Jesus understood that this group of Jesus' followers were witnesses to each other's failures and successes, and to their bad attitudes and their good attitudes and everything in between. And he understood that they need each other. Ephesians 4.15, this is what Paul was talking about when he said, instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. So Jesus knew that he was leaving planet Earth, but he made sure that this band, his small group, was not alone. They had this amazing combination for growth, the Holy Spirit and a group of other followers, sojourners, to share the journey with them. I have a couple small groups that I get to be a part of, and you know, one of them is this group of all of, all of us married women, and most of them are younger than me. That's on purpose. But we're, we get together, and this last week we had this amazing time. We were talking about solving the solvable problems in our marriage. And, of course, I mean, that's problems, right? That's in there, so there's going to be some stuff come up. And they were just so amazingly open and honest. And then when we went and moved from that, we moved to what's incredible about our spouses? What's one thing that we'd like everybody here to know? that's really amazing about him. And you know, we ran around the room and actually people started sharing a second round without being asked to even. And then we ended by praying for our spouses because they matter. This is a thing. See, that's the iron sharpens iron. Even in the sharing of my solvable problem, solutions come. Even as I listen to others tell their stories, I get their solutions That's the beauty of a small group. 
That's the beauty of helping us grow that way. And that brings us to the final one. We grow up when we show up to give. When we show up to give. And Paul talks about how each person helps one another grow up. In Ephesians 4.16, he says, From him, that is Christ, the whole body joined and held together by every supporting ligament grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. It's just reaffirming that we need each other and that we need to be giving to one another, that we have something that others need. And Jesus was pretty clear with his disciples. In Matthew, when he first sent them out, Matthew 10, verses 7 and 8, he gave them these instructions. He said, go and announce that the kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cure those with leprosy and cast out demons. And then these wonderful words, give as freely as you have received. Or some translations said, freely you've received, freely give. Now, he sent these guys out with very little preparation. They didn't have enough time to get educated in the schools of their day. They didn't have enough time even to get an undergrad degree unless they already had some credits, right? They had three years with Jesus from start to finish. They didn't have that much experience, really none going out on their own. And you know what? I've found that this really bothers people who think that Jesus should have had a little higher bar for who he let give out there, for who he let share what they'd been given. Some of us mistakenly think that growing precedes giving. And I'd like to suggest that growing and giving work in tandem that they're two, tra- two rungs of the same train track, and that we can grow as we give and will. Let me tell you a story about Bob. Bob is married. He has several kids, and he works in commercial construction. And he was estranged from his dad when the first part of this story begins. He, it was a new com- commercial construction crew for him, so he didn't know any of the guys And he goes into the construction trailer, and here's how they started the day. The boss reviewed all the projects. Okay, so far, so good. But then the boss says, okay, let's pray. And all of the other guys on the crew hit their knees to the ground. They knelt down there in the construction crew trailer. So, I mean, Bob's still sitting in his chair. He'd never done anything like that. But he said, I better do what they're doing. So he got on his knees, and he did that. Well, this wasn't just one day. This kept up day after day. And one of his coworkers had some interesting conversations with him about it. And because of that, his coworker sensed, you know what, it's time to invite Bob. And he invited Bob to be part of this church plant that was just newly started at a school because they didn't have a building yet. Well, Bob went and his friend was just finishing up setup because he was on the setup crew for the team. And when Bob saw that, his friend said, hey, you want to be on the setup crew with us? Bob loves to see things come together, something, take a plan and implement it. He said, sure, I'll help you. Well, that started him being an official member of the setup crew. And so now he wasn't just showing up at services. He showed up an hour before and he hung out with this whole crew of guys. And these guys are all talking about their life. And here's what happened. Bob decided to follow Jesus. And he invited his family to come And his family decided to follow Jesus one by one. And not only that, Bob was reconciled with his dad. 
the dad that he didn't know would only have two more years to live. And when he got reconciled with his dad, his dad was so moved by the change in his son that he gave his heart to Christ, and Bob was able to baptize him. But I had Bob sharing with a whole group of pastors who love planting churches, but who do not like set up and tear down. You can guess why? That's a lot of work, right? Here was Bob's reflections to them, and they're instructive for us. He said, I miss setting up for church. It enabled this rough and tumble construction guy the opportunity to give before I even knew who Jesus was. It made me feel a part so that I could become a part. Many people look at the work of starting or launching E2, and they go, how are we going to do that? Where are we going to get the people to do that? Usually what's driving that thinking is thinking about the ones already inside the door. But here's the deal. God has the bobs handpicked. People out there in our world that are ready to give if we'll invite them. To give and to grow toward Jesus in tandem. Bob's coworker recognized that in every one of us is the Imago Dei, the image of God. Whether we know that yet or not, and that we were designed to be giving people. And so he gave his friend a chance to give. And that's what Jesus is inviting you and I to as well. We can grow as we give. So let's take just a moment to reflect on these four ways, just four of the ways that we can grow up to become more like Jesus. We grow up when we show up with Jesus alone. You ready for the banana test? Where are you at on the scale? In showing up with God alone. And what part of that is keeping you in somewhere in between before the yellow banana? How about showing up with Jesus in church? Where are you at? You at the green banana stage? Hey, you're here today. You're moving right real speedily along toward the yellow banana, and maybe you're already there. Showing up with Jesus in a small group. Where are you at? Showing up with Jesus to give. Where do you need to change Where do you need to have a conversation with Jesus so that you can follow his example and move from immaturity to maturity, not by making yourself a to-do list, but by saying, Jesus, I see you. I see what you did. I want to do that too. Let's pray together. Jesus, just want to say thank you today. Thank you for your word that rearranges and changes and intervenes in us. And today, Lord, I pray for all of our conversations, Lord, that are happening right now in this moment. Lord, where people are being prompted by your spirit about one thing or another. Stuff I didn't even talk about, Lord, because you're so big and so good to see inside our lives. And so I pray, Lord, for your Holy Spirit to help us respond to you and say, I see you, Lord. I hear you, Lord. I want to do that this week. And I'm just going to ask while every head's bowed still, if there's anybody here that really is ready to make that big step of decision that my friend Bob did, Bob Burbo, one day at a moment in time, he knew it was his time to get right with God. 
and he said yes to Jesus. And I don't, I want to make that opportunity available to anyone here. Today could be your day for the very first time. You could start that journey. You could reach that milestone that sets you off on a grand adventure. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Would you look at me? Because I want to just acknowledge that. Such a great decision. I'm looking across the auditorium. Make sure that my eyes meet yours. Wouldn't want you to not be seen. Just wait in just a moment. Don't want to miss anyone. Jesus, thank you so much for loving us today. Can't wait to grow up this week with you. Amen.